title of my message this morning is a memorial myth. There are a lot of memorials in our world today. And uh, in religion, there's memorials. And if we're not careful, we will get stuck and hung up in a place of death. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And if we don't defend what those who died to defend, if we don't live in defense of those, of the purpose for those dying, we're not really fulfilling the memorial that they set down for us. The living side of what God has given us is extremely valuable. And Jesus said this, he said, stand fast in the freedom. Everybody say freedom. I love that word. I don't know about you, but I like that word. I like, I like my freedom. Stand fast in the freedom wherein Christ has made you free. And there's a deceptive freedom that's not really freedom at all, but if we're not careful, our world will try to redefine freedom by telling you what to do and taking away your freedom. So, I got to preach. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I've been excited about this message and it, trepidatious, is that maybe a correct word for the way I feel? I don't know. But I think it's important for us today to tell the truth about what is happening in our nation. It's important for us to tell the truth about where we are and how God values the truth, which is the biblical side of what we've been blessed with. Biblical literacy is not as popular in our world today as it needs to be because only through biblical truth will freedom and liberty actually come. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you remember math, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. What he's saying is whenever you come into the promised land, the land that I built for you, the land that I promised you, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. How? By keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey that it may go well with you. How's it going with you? That it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. You want things to go well for you? Keep my decrees, he's saying. Just as the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with some of your heart. Is that what it says? No. Y'all better pay attention. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What that means is that he's a jealous God and he doesn't want to, you to commit adultery with the world. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at the house, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So God asks us to build a memorial to his word. 
But the question today is the memorial to him and his word a living memorial or is it a dying memorial? Is the memorial that he designed for us to take a hold of, is it alive or is it on life support? During the 1600s, there was an emperor in India by the name of Shah Jahan. The fifth emperor during the Mughal dynasty, and he was believed to have been a descendant from Tamerlane and Genghis Khan. Sometime during his reign, a rebel group in the southern portion of India sought to reject his rule, and so he led an army to defeat them. In his entourage was his beloved wife, who was pregnant with their 14th child. There's a lot of things about this that just really doesn't make sense. (laughs) Beloved wife, going to war, pregnant, with, unfortunately, she died giving, while giving birth. So the emperor was overwhelmed with grief and locked himself in his quarters while he neither ate or drank for three days, and he kept his doors locked for nine days. And when he emerged from his rooms, his heart was filled with a dream that he would build two memorials. One would be the tomb made from white marble for his wife's body, the other tomb of black marble to be used for his burial chamber, which he really never got around to building. But the construction of her tomb required 22,000 men and women to labor 24 hours a day for 22 years. That's a project. It was built of white marble decorated with 28 different kinds of gems. The sheet of pearl was spread over the coffin doors of solid silver opened into the tomb and solid gold railing around the monument. Does anybody know the name of this tomb? Right, y'all are just smart people. The Taj Mahal. Y'all heard of that. It's one of the most famous memorials in the world. It's a, but it is a memorial to death. The Shah didn't build it while his wife was alive, only after she died. But honestly, that's the way it is with most memorials, isn't it? Memorials are often built to remind us of someone that has passed on or someone that we cared for or respected. A memorial is something that is built to help us remember Here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God is asking his people to remember something. He declared, these commandments are to be on your hearts, to impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at the house. Talk about them when you're on the road. When you're driving in the car, talk about the the commandments of God and, and who God is. When you get up in the morning and then when you go to bed at night. Let these commandments, I want you to build memories with your families, is what he said, and and let it be on your heart. Because the only way that it's really going to work is when it really gets in your heart. Build a memorial, a memorial to my word. Well, you see, the people of Israel eventually took all these commandments that God gave them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. They took them literally to another level. They actually tied his word to their hands, their foreheads, and wrote them on the door frames. They created little boxes called phylacteries that they tied to their foreheads and on their arms. I too got a picture of it. Uh, They also built a different kind of box called mezuzah that they Nailed to their door frames, religious Jews are expected to touch the mezuzah as they enter and as they exit the home. So in these boxes, they have little documents of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And frankly, it all seems fairly innocent. It could even be a helpful practice, we could say, because these little boxes constantly reminded the Jewish people of their commitment to God's law. But the problem became that over the years, everybody say over the years. You know what I'm fixing to say, right? Because over the years, when, it, when we say the word over the years, we mean that things can change over the years. 
many Israelites ended up forgetting about God's law and began putting their faith into those little boxes. Then Jesus comes along. You know, that's why they didn't really like him that much because he comes along and he blows up everything they're thinking about. You ever have that happen to you in church? If you hadn't, you hadn't been listening. But you see, they have put up things that they thought was even better. They needed to add on to what God was doing. They thought that their stuff was just as important as God's stuff. That if they had an opinion about something, that they could add that onto what God was doing. By the way, that's why we have so many different religions. God's not up there confused about what religion he needs to be. He's not up there going, hmm, I never thought about it. Maybe I'll just be this religion. <laughs> Religions are, made, are man-made, but relationships are God-made. Amen. God's not going to ask you, you get up to him, well, what? let me see your card. <laughs> but he, what he will say is, let me see your heart. Did you have a heart for Jesus? Did you keep my commandments? Was your heart for me? When you went to bed at night, was you thinking about me? When you got up in the morning, when you're driving along the road, was you thinking about me? Was you worshiping me? Did your life matter as a heart of worship toward the God that created you? He's not going to ask you for your church membership card. So here he was. Jesus shows up on the scene in Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. And he gives the Pharisees a stern warning against hypocrisy. By the way, hypocrisy, the word hypocrisy means actor. A hypocrite is an actor, someone that pretends and acts out to be someone that they're not. Our world is made up of actors. And we even have them in the church. Oh, by the way, we've all been a hypocrite at some point in time. People say, I ain't going back to that church. Too many hypocrites. Well, that's why we have church. For hypocrites. (laughs) We all need it, right? You ain't that good. Jesus jumps on the scene here and doing, talks to them about everything that they thought was better than what he could do, how that they could improve, the new and improved religion. That the law of God wasn't really enough that they needed to put a little bit more on it. It was kind of outdated and, and it needed to be revived. I mean, that Bible, it was written a long time ago. We need to have a, a new Something that tickles my ears that makes me happy about what I think I should be happy about. And if, 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 if you don't like what I think I should be happy about, that offends me. Well, you're gonna, these people got offended. In Matthew 23, 1, Jesus said to the crowd and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, sit, at, sit in Moses' seat. These, this is the Jewish people. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but this is what Jesus said, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. The reason they didn't practice what they preached because it was impossible for them to fulfill what they were actually asking everybody else to fulfill. They couldn't even do it. But because they were in charge of everything, they didn't have to do it. They just had to tell other people to do it. says they tie, tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done f- for people to see. They make their own phylacteries. That's the little boxes. Wide. They make wide and tassels on their garments long. They love to place the place of honor at banquets in the most important seats in the synagogue. They do what they do so 
people can see them and glorify them instead of the Father in heaven who made the commandments. So God comes along and he says, and Jesus comes along and he says, these commandments were not made so that you could be glorified and so that you could be honored, but so that the Father in heaven could be glorified and could be honored. And the way that we judge, the reason that you do what you do is by your heart. What is in your heart, what you let come into your heart. And the influences and the words that you hear Who do you listen to and who do you adhere to when it comes to how you choose to live your life in the religious life that you have chosen? Many of the faithful in Israel got to the point where they focused more on the boxes than the contents of the boxes. They mounted them only on the right doorpost of the home. It was to be slanted so that the top of the point was inside the room. It should be affixed to each, each room in the house. And its contents made must be examined by a reliable scribe at least twice every seven years to make sure the ink in the parchment didn't fade. If these requirements were not met, were not met then the blessings were nullified. In other words, it was up to the priests whether they would be blessed or not The power of God had been given to man instead of man acknowledging God and his power and man humbling himself. Man has always wanted to be like God. From the time Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, man always wanted to be like God. And I guarantee you that's something that you will have to fight in your life as well. Amen? Oh, it's going to get better. In other words, man says, if you don't do what I say is right, if these requirements are not met, your blessings are nullified, and God won't bless you. Sounds a lot like the culture that we live in today. Let's redefine some things to make us more comfortable. Let's redefine sex. Well, my Bible tells me that in the beginning, God created man and woman. And any time you want to add on to that, you are trying to become as God. Let's redefine what love is. If you really love me, you'll sleep with me. That's not love, that's heat. <laughs> redefine racism. Racism is a big topic. I'm, I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe that the preachers in the pulpit have got to stand up for what God has called his church to be and teach the church and teach our nation how to love people without being offended by people. There's way too much offense in our world today. And let me say this. This has been heavy on me. Our government has attempted to bully the church to the place where the church will be silent about moral issues that they govern. And I think it's time the church stood up. I'm going to tell you, if, if you're uncomfortable with us talking about it, political things, because those political things are moral things, and the church has been silent way, way, way too long. We're the one that's... They talk about being bullied. We're the ones that's being bullied out of culture and out of society. And the church needs to stand up. If our nation is going to live and, and have longevity, it's going to have to be because of the biblical principles and the biblical literacy of the church. Because the Constitution of the United States of America, over 33% of that Constitution is biblically based and when they wrote that constitution, they, they sent that constitution to be ratified. Like if there was a law that, that was made, that was written, we would send this law to Austin for the law to be ratified, right? 
But when they wrote the Constitution of the United States of America, do you know where they sent that Constitution to be ratified? To the churches, to the preachers. Do you know why? Because they didn't want anything in that Constitution to be against the Word of God. People talk about, they talk about the separation of church and state. Let me tell you something. The state needs the church, and the church needs to speak up because the state needs help. People say, shouldn't talk about politics in church. Let me tell you something. You're going to get real comfortable if that makes you uncomfortable. But let me tell you something. It's not a bad thing for you to be uncomfortable because if you're uncomfortable, God's wanting to say something to you. Our, our government is telling our schools what to teach. It is so divisive and so offensive to God. And the church needs to stand up for biblical moral principles. And let me say this, and, and I appreciate your support. I'm going to tell you something. Love is what changes this world. It's not anger. I'm not, I'm not angry at any individual. I'm angry at the devil because I know where all this stuff comes from. And the only way that the church is going to live and thrive and not have a memorial to dead things is when the church stands up for what is alive, for who is alive, and when the church stands up for biblical literacy. Listen, we need to know the Bible before we can preach the Bible. The problem is in our churches today that people don't really, as a whole, know what the word of God says and there's influence from the outside walls and if we don't know what the truth is then we're going to buy into a lie because it just comes more natural to our sinful nature so we got men's bible study women's bible study we've got life groups we've got we got youth groups we got we got peanuts popcorn cracker jacks we got everything you need in order to to help you along the way Donuts and coffee. Tea. Get you any way we can. <laughs> but we want you to be literate and to know when a lie comes down the pike from our government and tries to, tries to influence you. I'm so thankful for this heartbeat bill that honors the, the lives of babies. I'm so proud of our politicians. I, I just, I, I just, I'm just not going to be intimidated manipulated or controlled by our government any longer. We have to stand up for the truth of the word of God. Thank you. Thank you. It's God's, it's God's word and his will that is what's going to bring peace to our nation. And when we practice and preach God's word and God's will, there will always be peace attached to that. We don't, we don't win anybody to the Lord by making them mad. We got to love them. But sometimes Jesus made people mad because he spoke the truth he spoke the truth in love, and they still got mad. But our, our, our job is not to please man. Our job is to please God. You see, what, these, what, what would happen, these people would put, they begin over the years, they begin to put faith in these little boxes and, and memorialize these boxes. Yes, God's word was in there, but God was saying, hey, whenever you, whenever you go to work, live out what I'm asking you to live out. Don't just put it in a box and worship the box, but put, live out what I'm asking you to live out in your life. You moms and dads with your children, you, it's not the church's job to raise your kids. 
It's not. It's the, jo- it's the church's do- job to equip you to raise your kids and to help you to raise your kids. And we, we're going to do everything we can, but we can't do it all in an hour on Sunday morning. It has to be in the mornings, in the afternoons, in the evenings. Let them know what God's word and God's plan is and teach them how to worship God throughout the work, throughout the week as an example to God. So, a lot of times, if, if we're not careful, we, we can be deceived as long as uh, they touch the little boxes and perform their religious ritual, then they could, they could be hateful to others or lie to, other, lie to their friends or cheat their spouses, be filled with lust and bitterness. But as long as they could touch the little box, they could feel that they had fulfilled their religious obligation. And thus the box could be a memorial to faith that is dead. And we may think of ourselves and say, I just don't understand the Jewish faith would put that much would put such faith in these boxes and bring God's word down to a human level. But, of course, there are people today, denominational people and non-denominational people, congregations who do much of the same thing. They touch holy objects. They say, they say holy Mary. They repeat prayers over and over. Matthew 6, 7 says, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Then he said, don't be like them. My point is, is that if you think that your ritual is going to get you in right standing with God, and it's not in his word, there's a problem with your ritual, but there's also a problem with your heart. That you can substitute living a righteous and a holy life by doing religious things. Case in point, there are Christians who put their faiths in little boxes. It doesn't have to be a literal box. It can be a a religious practice that cancels out bad behavior. For instance, if, if, say, say you ate a, in our, say you ate a Snickers bar, then you went and ate and drank a Diet Coke. The, The Diet Coke wouldn't cancel out the, Snicker bar. How many believe that that Diet Coke, how many want to believe that that Diet Coke canceled out that Snicker bar? Of course, we want to believe that. There's Christians who reason that way about their faith. Telling lies is canceled out by attending church. Well, everybody else lies. But what did Jesus say about it? Being a rebellious wife can be balanced out by teaching a class on Sunday. If you abuse your wife, you can make up for it by faithfully attending midweek Bible study. Sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Can, you can cancel that out by, cancel that sin by giving a gift. In some cases, a sizable gift <laughs> to the church. Gossip is, can- I'm going on. <laughs> Gossip is canceled out when you give a check to support your favorite missionary. When you refuse to forgive an enemy, you can cancel that out by, give- by being kind to the poor. When you watch pornography, you cancel that out by making a donation to battered women's organizations. If you hate someone who's done wrong, you cancel that out by loving Jesus. If you're mean-spirited, and a critical person, you can cancel that out by listening to Christian music. Sounds silly, doesn't it? It's dead faith. There are many, many myths that the American church has bought into One of the hardest things in life to do is to be completely honest with yourself about yourself. 
I live in the team roping world, and and in the team rope roping world, there's there's a lot of team ropers that think that they rope a lot better than they really rope. <laughs> I mean, they think they really rope good, and they really don't rope that good. But they've bought into themselves. I'm not here to bring any condemnation at all. But I am here to help the Holy Spirit bring conviction. It's important for us to be convicted about things that we need to be convicted about. My challenge to you today is to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and to your spirit about things that you may have memorialized that may not be a part of God's word, some things in your life that you, you've allowed to become substantial. A big memorial myth that we all must deal with. You, you, you might laugh when you hear this. The big memorial myth that we have to deal with is that all we need is church. <laughs> you probably didn't think you'd ever hear the preacher say that, did you? A lot of people believe that all we need is church. If I go and I put my hour in on Sunday morning, me and the man upstairs, we're good. Let me tell you something. He's got a name. His name is Jesus. He's not the man upstairs. He is God, and he deserves to be worshiped on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and on Sunday. It's a perpetual worship that is set aside for the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Church. Church. He did say, they say this in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Obviously, Jesus asked us to come to church. But if we're not careful, it'll be like the little boxes where we just check that box off and say, well, I went to church and, and I'm good. I'm good. Well, let me tell you something. There's only one that's good. His name is Jesus and it's not us. We're not good. We're just, we're, we're wretched sinners without Jesus. And if we'll humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, he will bring us peace. Is there anybody here who needs a little bit more peace in your life? Uh, Jesus said, I am your peace. And we can't be looking to other things to get peace. And if we're not careful, the myth, the memorial myth will take away our peace because it's a dead faith and not a faith that is alive. Oh, that's good preaching. So there's a competition, and I'm going to try to roll through this. There's a competition for your time. There's a competition for your kids' time. And if we're not careful, we can become consumed with the influence that the world gives more than the influence that God gives. So my challenge to you today is to hear this. As adults, most of us are tethered to our phones. In fact, we often feel something is missing if we don't have them. You see my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? You with me? Nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> Children are now modeling that behavior, and so it begs the question, how much is too much when it comes to screen time for your kids? This, the CDC reports that children ages 8, Eight, eight to ten spend an average of six hours per day in front of a screen. Average kid. Kids ages 11 to 14 spend an average of nine hours in front of a screen. You kids are looking at your mom. Don't lace, don't lace up. <laughs> Youth ages 15 to 18 spend an average of Seven and a half hours per day in front of a screen. That's a work day. Screen time recommendation summarized. Under two-year-old, zero screen time. Now, hey, I didn't make this up. I'm just a messenger. Now. 
including TV, electronic media. And I wrote, read about this and what they said, that it, it inhabits the brain growth and the development of, of children's brains when they spend too much time in front of the screen. Two to five-year-olds, no more than an hour per day. Five to 17-year-olds, no more than two hours per day. Homework not included. Take a deep breath, kids. But the world we live in has mastered the art of selling their agenda to us and, their, and to our children. Their attempt to train us to adopt their agenda in their world seems much more effective than our attempt to influence them toward God and his world. We got to do a better job. We can take every opportunity, though, to expose them to God. I want to give you uh, this last story. Well, not the last one. The second of the last one. Back in the 1800s in Germany, there was a young man who had a profound sense of admiration for his father. His father saw to it that the life of the family revolved around religious practices and their faith. In his teen years, however, the boy's family was forced to move to another town in Germany. The life of the community revolved around the Lutheran church and all the best people in the community belonged to it. Suddenly, the father announced to his family that they were going to abandon their Jewish traditions and join the Lutheran church. When the stunned family asked why, their father explained that it would it'd be good for his business if he did that. The youngster was bewildered and confused. His disappointment soon gave way to anger and a kind of intense bitterness that plagued him throughout his entire life. He became a menace to society, a heavy drinker and a, an adulterer. And when his wife died, he didn't even go to her funeral. Two of his children committed suicide. He himself died bankrupt and in despair. He accomplished nothing of any lasting significance with his life except for one book that he wrote. It was entitled Das Kapital. In it he declared that religion is the opiate of the people. Anyone guess who this man's name was? Karl Marx. In the mid-19th century, it was the foremost ideology of the communist movement. In his book, Das Kapital, became the foundation of communism and led to the destruction of thousands of lives and is the birthplace for socialism and communism in our world today. Karl Marx. can't underestimate the value of a biblical based conviction a lot of convictions that we have which we all have and we all have opinions everybody's got a couple of them Karl Marx made an impression on society in an extreme negative way because convictions weren't followed. And I, I wasn't there, I don't understand all of this, but I know that, that many times convictions will die out when they're already dead. And the only convictions that really do strive and thrive is the conviction of the truth and really the freedom for which our soldiers actually died for and the freedom of religion, the freedom of worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But I also know that hurting people hurt people. When you're hurting, it's like when I ran over my dog a long time ago. And when I ran, not on purpose. It wasn't a cat, it was a dog. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Oh, no, no, no. 
wake you up. Hey, if that made you mad, you get, you get to practice forgiveness right now. But when I ran over that dog, when I picked her up to take her to the vet, she bit me. That dog don't, it would, never would bite me. But when she was hurting, y'all stay with me. When she was hurting, she hurt me. And the reason I believe a lot of the people in our culture today and in our, in, in, in our nation are offended and are hurting people is because they're hurting themselves. They just hurt. And when you have the solution to the pain and you have embraced the process of peace and you have embraced the prince of peace and you are convicted by that and you make up your mind that the memorial that you have will be a living memorial that you will move and breathe and that God himself will breathe life into you then you can be the solution to the world that you live in you can be the solution there was a there was a lady at a well when Jesus walked up to her and uh, she said he told her, he said, if you drink from the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. But if you drink from the water of this well, you're going to get thirsty again. And she responded from this, hey, Jacob, our father dug this well. This is our well. And we've been drinking from this well. I don't know what you're talking about, but this is my well. That's not how she said it, I'm sure, but, but I just wanted to make a point. Jesus says, I have the answer to whatever your question is. I have all the answers in my book, the truth of the word. God breathed the truth into prophets of old and gave us every answer for every question that we will ever need and I have the living water he said you drink from this water that you're he said I knew Jacob Jacob I, I, I was Jacob's God when Jacob dug this well but he said I have living water for you when you get tired of drinking this water from Jacob's well and it's not and you get thirsty again you got to keep going back to it and it becomes a habit. And it's like, it's just not doing it for me anymore. I, I've got the keys to eternal life. If you want some of that, it's available. And I have that in me is life. And freedom. And peace. So let's not get angry at the world. Y'all come on with me. Let's not get angry at the world. Let's get angry at the devil because he's the one that's doing all this stuff. We got to love the people in the world, but not love the world. It says, come from out from among them and be ye separate. It didn't say to leave the world, but what it said was, don't be like the world. Be like Jesus and you be the influence on the world instead of the world being an influence on you because we have the keys to eternal life. It's about time the church stood up and started acting like we have the keys to eternal life. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you drive down the road, when you go to work, you let your light shine before men that they might see your good works, but glorify who? The Father which is in heaven. That's the problem. We don't do it so we can get glorified. We don't do it for us. We do it for him. By the way, we don't have church for people. We have church for God. We come to worship God. Well, I'm just don't get nothing out of that church. I don't get, didn't get nothing out of church this morning. It's not for you anyway. We didn't have church for you. 
We have church for him. The residual effect is that you get blessed by blessing God. But that's not my job. My job is to worship the Savior. Your job is to worship the Savior. When we worship him, then he comes back and he blesses the socks off of us because he has eternal life and the water is free. Just lick it up. I got to quit. I can Lord, bless your church, Lord God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your conviction in our hearts that, that you look down, you see somebody that needs you. Lord, help us to be humble people, oh God, teachable people. But Lord, may we also be passionate about the purpose that you put in us of studying your word and being biblical, literate people so that we know what to give away, to give the life that you put in us, to give it away to others. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. Today, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, or maybe if you have and you just haven't been living for him, the Bible says that we've all sinned, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he also said that if we would confess our sins, he would be faithful. I love that word, faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today, if you've never accepted, maybe if you have, you just haven't been living for him, simply by raising your hand, say, preacher, I need Jesus in my heart. I need need him in my life. We want to put a Bible in your hand, anybody. Preacher, that's me. I need Jesus in my heart. Anybody. Anybody. Yep, thank you right here. We're going to put a Bible in your hand. Yep, thank you. Leave your hand up. Anybody else? Preacher, that's me. Yep, thank you, buddy. I'm proud of you. Bless your heart, man. We're going to put a Bible in your hand. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. It'll be intentional. I'm telling you, God has, God has, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. God has created us to be intentional people with an intentional purpose. And us being intentional is God's plan for us today. Anybody else say, preacher, I'm, I wanna, I, I'm, I'm going to be intentional this morning and make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anybody? Preacher, that's me. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. If you raise your hands, would you mind looking up at me? Would you mind coming up? Come on up here and let me pray with you. Back in the back. Come on up. Let me pray with you. Yeah, thank you. I'm so proud of y'all. Come on, buddy. Yeah, thank you. You raise your hand. Come on up. Come on, buddy. Come on, come on. Can you come up? Come on. I want to pray with you. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. Look at you. Stay here. I want to pray with you. Bless you, buddy. Bless you, my friend. Appreciate you. Can I pray with you? Okay. Anybody else? I don't miss nobody. Okay, look here. Here's what the Bible says. It says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised you from the dead, that we'll be saved. I want to help you pray. But you have to believe in your heart. Okay? Can we do that? Okay, y'all help us pray. Just repeat after me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. From this day forward, I give my life to you. Help me to read my Bible. To pray. Show up for church. And get baptized. I love you, Jesus. Teach me to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm so proud of y'all. Bless you. Bless you. I'm proud of you, brother. Bless you. Bless you, my friend. I'm proud of you. Look here. Go visit this lady over here for just a second, okay? Thank you so much. Love you, buddy. You stand with me, please.
Billy Graham, he used to play a song, Just As I Am. You remember that song? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. What a, what a great, great song. How many say that, t- that today, you say, preacher, I've let some things come into my life that I have allowed myself to be influenced by things in the world and in a way kind of memorialize them and I, and I need to get back to the truth of the word of God and I've got to make some changes in my life raise your hand preacher that's me yeah I love y'all y'all are such good people you know being honest is I think they teach you that in AA if you admitting you're I've not ever been there, but they, they say if you, no, it's a bad thing. But if they say if, if you admit it, that's the first step to healing, right? So I think that's right today. So I want to I pray for y'all. And if, if you raise your hands, raise your hands with me. And if you didn't raise your hand, there may be something that you don't see. Let's just open up our hearts toward him because he always starts with our hearts. So, Lord, we open up our hearts to you right now, God, understanding that, uh, more than anything that from our heart flows the issues of life so Lord we submit our hearts to you our minds our bodies and our souls I pray oh God that you would direct our path that you would convict us in areas that we need to be convicted in that we would respond both vocally but also with actions we thank you, Lord, for your people today. Help us, oh God, to be a blessing to our, our neighbors, our friends, people out in the world that need and are so desperate for you, oh God, that we would bring that living water to them. We thank you, Jesus, for these that have come up to give their heart to you this morning. Bless them and their lives and their families, I pray. And may we be a blessing to them as a church. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless y'all. We love you. Got our prayer team up here if you need special prayer. Love to have you.